Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Glad to have all of you with us today for another Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. We have a full house of uh, uh, panelists ready to talk about the issues in the news today. Um, very quickly before we do that, um, I want to remind you that um, we're going to be working the rest of this week. Tomorrow we will not be on the air because we're going to be presenting on GPB Radio the House impeachment debate, which is expected to last a good part of tomorrow. It's possible that it will overlap into Thursday, but in any case— we are going to uh, take a back seat to allow NPR to bring you the impeachment debate in the U.S. House. With that in mind, let's get started. Kevin Riley is with us today. He, of course, is the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and is with us usually on Tuesdays. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Good to be here, Bill. We've got a full house today. Yeah, we really do. Uh, right next to you, and if you're watching on Facebook Live at GPB News, you can see uh, Stacey Evans, a former uh, legislator. Uh, former candidate for governor and Stacey Evans now, and we'll talk about this a little later, a candidate for the legislature once more. You're running for the House District 57, did you 57, say? 57, that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm back, baby. All right. Well, <laughs> well, and we'll talk about that in just a little while. Across the table from you, Jackie Gingrich Cushman. Jackie is a conservative writer, columnist. She has a uh, her new her new book. Mm-hmm. It's your third fourth book. It's my third book. Third book uh, is out right now. Remind everybody the name. Our Broken America. Why yeah. both sides need to stop ranting and start listening. Uh, very interesting. Not much progress on that, Jackie. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. to say. Hey, well, I'm working know. on it. It takes a while. <laughs> okay. um, uh, by the way, people can go to the Political Rewind website and find a link to the show we did about your book. It's uh, up there. Tim Eccles, Public Service Commissioner. Looking, mm-hmm. at, I'm trying to look to see, Tim, this mm-hmm. morning you all voted at the PSC That's on right. the Georgia Power rate uh, hike request. And we'll talk about it in just a minute. But I'm, right now I think we're all looking to see whether you started getting black and blue yet from any of the people <laughs> who were beating up on you this morning. I mean, there's good news and bad news coming out of it. Okay. We'll talk about it in just a minute. But before we do, let me introduce. We've got Savannah in the house as well today, uh, Adam Van Brimmer, who is the editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and oversees editorial uh, content on Savannah Now. Their website is joining us from the newspaper offices in Savannah. How are you doing down there, Adam? Is it as miserable, rainy, cloudy, awful a day down there as it is up here? No, it's always nice on the coast, Bill. You know <laughs> Very happy to be joining you again today. Well, we're glad to have you, Adam. All right, let's turn right to the news of the day. Uh, Tim Eccles, this proposed rate hike that Georgia Power wanted to put in place, $2 billion, which is a scary number over a period of three years, has been brewing for a long time now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's by law. We have we we do these rate cases every three years. The integrated resource plan we do every three years where you basically do a strategic plan. A lot of folks are familiar with that with their companies. Uh, And we take a 20 year look. We've got a very good system. And in in today's vote, instead of getting the two point two they're getting about $1.68 billion uh, so, in three years. So we did whittle that down. Okay, so just as a starting point so that our listeners understand what this means to them, if, if you took what Georgia Power first asked for, it would have increased most people's bills by, what, 10 bucks a, a month maybe? Yeah, 10 to 12, depending on how much energy they use. It's like $120 a year potentially. And – Instead of that, you and your fellow commissioners decided to give Georgia Power what? Yeah, it's going to be about six bucks uh, that folks see next year. It'll jump to eight the you know the next year and ten the next year. So it's going to it really should be tied to inflation anyway. It's not. Uh, so we basically try to try to true it up essentially every three years. I, I think, and we're going to get everybody in the mix on this, but I think one of the reasons that Georgia Power's rate requests are always so controversial or often so controversial is there are, I'm, I'm not sure that we all understand what Georgia Power, or for that matter, any utility company has done to deserve an increase of any amount 
But then you add to that in Georgia Power's case the fact that Plant Vogel has been such a controversial subject in the news, and we're not even at the point where you're going to make decisions on how much more we're going to mm-hmm. pay because of Plant Vogel. Too. Yeah, yeah. Take a trip to Puerto Rico or go to you know go to some Eastern European company, country and see the grid go down as much as it does. It gives you a, a definitely a greater appreciation for just how reliable our grid is. It is incredibly reliable. And and because of and and the reason that it remains reliable is that you continue to allow them to uh, uh, raid, raise rates and improve their infrastructure. I'm well, not sure what you're saying about no, that. You know, I know we put all that into the bucket of rates, but you think about just the the tree trimming alone that, that has to be done, and that's uh, I, I talked to the folks down in Puerto Rico that were trying to get them back up, and they said, you know, they had not they had not cut trees along the power line. They didn't have the money to do it. And so for the power company to do storm damage, to do grid upgrades, to add the, the transformers that, that we need to do, say, electric bus charging and all the stuff that we're that we're looking at in the future, it just costs money to get this grid in a better place. So let me so. throw this open in terms of what I just said. One, uh, Stacy, let me actually start with you. There have been concerns about the increases, and certainly the $2 billion figure scared the heck out of mm-hmm. most people. Um, so, but, but Plant Vogel adds to the concern about this, the, the, what appears to be bad management in terms of getting the new reactors built, uh, how the ov- cost overruns, all that sort of, I mean, Georgia Power has just been under a cloud because of that, among other things. Whether it's Vogel, infrastructure, storms, whatever, it seems to be that the rate payers are always the ones that have to foot the bill. And what I don't like the most about the, the rate increase today, sorry, my friend, um, is the increase in the fixed fee. So it's not even something that you can do to keep your bill down in your home by using less energy, no matter what. Your, your fixed fee is going to go up whether you use a lot, whether you turn the lights off every time you leave a room, whether you leave them on all day, whether you live in a 500-square-foot house or a 5,000-square-foot yeah, house. And you, that seems fundamentally unfair to me. But when you stack up Georgia Power's fixed fee against all the EMCs in the state, Georgia Power's right there at the very bottom. I mean, I think, I think Sony EMC is $28 a mm-hmm. month. I mean, there's a lot of EMCs that have a much higher fixed fee. So... You know, their boosting it to seventeen ninety five, which we didn't let them do, uh, was was really a tiny bit compared to what other EMCs charge. So we held them back. We're not going to let them increase it at all next year uh, on the base rate. We're going to let them bump it two dollars and twenty one and two dollars and twenty two. But not being the worst is just not. That's not a trophy to me. And it, it's really hard to feel sorry for the company when I look and I see the Southern Company pocketing eight hundred and eight hundred million in net income last year. I mean, how about they share a little bit? Well, they have written down money on the on the Vogel plant. Uh, I, I think the you know it it is in our best interest to have the best possible grid that we can have. That attracts businesses and and frankly, I mean, we we're five Republicans sitting on on the commission. Economic development is very important to us to continue to attract businesses to have a grid where manufacturers say, "Yeah, th- this this works for us." To have that no sales tax on energy for manufacturing. Yes, we we have really promoted businesses, and I think we're going to continue to do that. Tim, um, of course, in the job on the PSC, you have people on both sides coming at you. It's something uh, you're, you're probably used to. So. Uh, you know, as rate payers, I mean, all of us here are rate payers and, and consumers. I mean, Georgia Power, at least, for the most part, has a monopoly. So that's the deal for them. Convince, I mean, what would you say to people about what's in it for them? Well, certainly, as the power company goes to borrow money in New York uh, for coal ash remediation or building uh finishing plant Vogel or building out massive solar arrays, and they have to borrow that money, that interest rate is based on their their credit rating. And so uh, that credit rating is determined by that the amount of equity, that you know, the capital structure that we approve. So we're very sensitive to all those numbers because ultimately, if they're paying more interest, our rate payers are so, paying more hey, interest. So, hey, Adam, let me bring you into this conversation, and you as well, Jackie. Um, Matt Kempner, who is uh, covering the PSC decision today for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, writes this in his uh, 
uh, piece about the hearing this morning. Georgia Power won approval to collect profit margins well above a national average for its industry. As a regulated monopoly, the company has to have its rates approved uh, by the PSC. And that's been one of the criticisms, Adam, that George Power already has, uh, as Stacy pointed out, huge profit margin. So the question is why, why the rate hike? And I'm wondering how your folks down there on the coast who are going to feel this as well as everybody else in the state are going to react to it. Well, Commissioner Eccles, unbeknownst to him, has hit on a, a sore spot uh, for me personally and for others down here. <laughs> he, just that, cr- he just cringed that, here in the studio. Adam. Yeah, that are that are dealing that have had to deal with <laughs> hurricane evacuations and hurricane damage many times in the last several years and investment in infrastructure on the part of Georgia Power and Southern Company. I will say that Southern Company does a tremendous job in reaction to these storms bringing in people from out of town. I know Alabama Power is has become a, a fall, a September, October rite of passage in my neighborhood because they are the ones that are assigned to come and, and really get our power back going. But it's one of these things, you look at how much they're asking for and you look at how much profit they're making and you're wondering what real infrastructure improvements they're doing. I mean, here in front of my house, power lines are still above the ground. You know, I live on a, on a coastal island where wind, rain, these events are, are a constant. And basically, they're just putting a bandage on it every time they come through. I think they would really get some goodwill down this way if we were to see some real movement in terms of these infrastructure improvements. And, and that would be a more tangible way for them to get their message across. Can I Tim, respond? Of course. Yeah, it's By not- the way, we need to say, mm-hmm. Tim, that you offered to come in knowing that you were going to get some hard questions about this. And I do want to give you credit for that. Yeah, no, it's, you're asking legitimate questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it, it is a complicated issue. And, and to those lines down there on the polls, I mean, there's nothing magic about going underground. I can tell you just just Google California Public Utility Commissioner okay. uh, and let and just read what Michael Picker says in uh, in San Francisco about poles and the importance of poles and not going underground. But that said, that storm damage, we're about four and a half days typically in getting the coast restored. And that's pretty quick, quick considering we're bringing people in from out of state. We're staging these camps and we're, and, and we're you know, these guys are working um you know, 15 hours mm-hmm. a day to try to keep, get people back. Jackie, to you want to jump in? Oh, absolutely. So one of the things, I mean, this is a, a process, as you mentioned, Commissioner, that it happens every three years. So they walk in with their, you know, why they need more money. And then you look through everything that happens because it's a very complicated, um, you know, criteria and formula because it's not all basic. And you figure out what makes sense for the company, but also what makes sense for the, you know, for the people that are paying for, for me, right? Because I, I have a house and so I pay for electricity. So I want to say, first of all, thank you for that process. And it's an imperfect process. But during that process, you did pull that number down that they'd asked for. So that, I think, is very helpful for people to know that you went, went through that and made sure that, you know, they, they walked in with a laundry list and you pared that list down greatly. Yeah, and, and part of what exasperates me in this is that a good portion of this increase is, is remediation of coal ash. I'm talking digging up mammoth ponds of ash, moving it over here to this pile, covering it up. Uh, and that is very expensive. We get nothing out of it. Yeah, but it is a, regu- yeah, but it is a regulation that you, we have to comply absolutely. with. Absolutely. And it's something that you should do, not that it's not inexpensive. You know, it's very expensive to do, and you should do that. The other thing that I really want to, I want to mention to our listeners, because I want them to know about this, is you're also looking forward to what do we do going forward in terms of seller energy. So for those people that are interested, and I think you all have changed that as well in terms of how people that have solar that can can actually benefit from that. Yeah, so today in this, in this case, I added... Uh, $8 million a year in electric vehicle infrastructure, chargers and make ready. That's, a big ex- that's issue. exciting. Something you that, care about because that, that, you've been driving yeah. an electric car longer yeah, than I've got, some I've of got our my listeners. Fourth, have my been fourth alive. electric car in the parking lot uh, today <laughs> yeah. with no chargers up here, yeah. by the way. Uh, <laughs> Kevin, here's, and Stacy, and all of you, please. The, you know, you mentioned coal ash, and I can't help but wonder whether it's my responsibility to help Georgia Power correct a problem that they created themselves. I, I'm a little uncertain about why I should be contributing to their doing that. That was my immediate thought when you said that is Georgia Power cut corners to get itself in the mess that it's in with its coal ash ponds to start with. So why in the world would the ratepayers be on the hook for that cleanup? Well, 
in a hindsight's 2020, and yes, we're looking and going, hey, we could have done this differently. They were in compliance at the time. And our job is to keep give them the money they need to stay in compliance and is a moving target with Congress. They have in, in the EPA, in this case, the EPA has changed the rules. EPD changed the rules. And so now those ponds and by the way, some of those ponds have softball fields built on them. Some of those ponds have pine trees growing. These are old ponds. I'm talking. They're not really a pond anymore. <laughs> it's a field. Well, you have to dig those things up, move those over here, move those over there. And, and it, it is enormously expensive. I mean, I, we've gone through that. I work with the Trust for Public Land, yeah. which is a different organization that saves land for people. And anytime you get into a site that has environmental issues or things that you need to remediate or fix, um, you know, it's something that needs to be done for the people that are that are near it and has to happen, but it is not inexpensive. The good news is we, we closed five coal units this year. And, and we're going to continue to close, and we'll never build another one. Tim, um, this, other, this issue will go away. The other hot issue, of course, is always plant vodal, right? I mean, it's it's uh, uh, what's gone on there. It's, it's tremendously complicated to explain, but the fact is that Georgia Power years ago did this assessment and decided to go and build nuclear when no one else was doing it, and, and, and in South Carolina, it's been shut down. And if I recall, you were the one, or the commission was the one, who had to jam down their throat some of the solar, to, to invest some in solar. So are you satisfied with where they are and all that stuff? I mean, I get everyone likes to beat them up on Vodal, and it's there, and it's going to be there. But do you think they're doing enough on the solar side? Well, we added another 2,250 megawatts, the equivalent of 13,500 acres of solar. We added it for to be this year, and it will be put in the ground in 2021 and 22. Yeah, so like that for it, me, it, though, as a consumer. Well, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. How many homes can you put electricity in? With, I'm not with sure the exact number of homes, but it is an enormous amount of, of solar, and it's especially beneficial where it's going, Taylor County, Twiggs County, a lot of these poor South Georgia counties. Uh, in, in the one we did in Twiggs County, the county commissioner told us at the ribbon cutting, this is going to be half the tax digest for our entire county. All right, so oh, so that's, a, that's a great story. All right, so let's do this. I want to move on to a number of other subjects. But before I do, Adam, you're the editorial editor of the Savannah Morning News. Uh, Tim Eccles did a little computation for us, said that probably starting sometime next month, uh, rate payers should, or, or uh, people who use George Power should expect to pay some six bucks a month more, and that's going to go up again a year later. Adam, are you likely to editorialize about this, and what will you say? Yeah, we, we probably will. Uh, we have been, we've written editorials throughout this process and have been pretty supportive in terms of Georgia Power and what they're trying to do and trying to help people understand. Not to get too wonky here, but the, the return on equity is is a discussion that very few people understand. I'm not sure that I understand it completely. Uh, I do understand that, that Georgia Power basically has a band of percentage return that they're supposed to give back, that they're supposed to return to shareholders. And I think that goes to what Tim was talking about earlier in terms of credit rating and that kind of thing. But I think what would be interesting to know, and, and Tim, if you don't know, I understand you don't work for Georgia Power, but if these profits do start to exceed the top end, the ceiling of this band on return on equity, where does that money go? And are we as as Georgia Power customers, stakeholders, going to see a return on that? Yeah, and I think next year in my motion – it all goes to the ratepayers, anything over, but then we split it. I think it's eight an 80-20 split after that. So our our customers do benefit from uh, from them earning over over their band. We want them to be as successful as possible because our ratepayers do get part of it. One final question, and then we'll move on. Am I right? Ratepayers have already absorbed some of the costs of construction of the new towers at Plant Vogel, right? But there is yet another uh, round to come bef- that will come before you that will also ask us to pay as ratepayers before completion on additional costs. Is that right? Yeah. You still have that ahead of you. Yeah. Unfortunately, during my election year of 2022, <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll, right. we'll increase rates probably another 5 to 6% as yeah. we drop the capital Eccles. expenses 
into Plant Vogel. All right. So, all right. Uh, yeah. Stay with us, Tim, when we move on, because I know you are uh, always able to talk about the other issues, too. I will say this, everybody. Uh, if you were watching us on Facebook Live, you may have seen a chocolate pie from the Silver Skillet in the studio. Tim Eccles brought it in, as he always does when he comes on the show. And if we're going to see another rate increase next year, he may be buying chocolate pie for every darn voter out there. <laughs> and I'll send right. them the address for Spanish. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. Thank you for all that, Tim. Uh, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about um, Kevin Riley, the uh, uh, case which was heard by uh, District Court Judge Steve Jones yesterday. And as we do, I want to make a correction. Um, Fair Fight Action went into court yesterday, federal district court, asking the judge to delay the purging of some 309,000 names from the voter rolls in Georgia. uh, And actually, they wanted to uh, uh, hold about 120,000 of them, which they said were not shouldn't have been purged. These are people under the use it or lose it provision, which says if you haven't voted for seven years, Um, or you haven't communicated with the Election Commission, then you were going to have your name purged. That was unfolding under real time yesterday. We said, because we got information telling us that Judge Jones had delayed the purge until Thursday. Well, it turns out that wasn't the case. Last night, the Secretary of State's office went ahead and purged the 309,000 names. On Thursday, Judge Jones will continue looking at the lawsuit from Fair Fight Action and he's, he decided not to delay it because he was told by the Secretary of State's office that if fair fight action wins, those names can easily be restored. Fair enough? That I hope I right. described I mean, that in a, legit, more, a logical to, way. As we sit here today, Georgia has 7.1 million Instead voters. Instead of 7.4. Instead of 7.4, as we sit here at this moment. Million. Yeah. Um, Jackie Cushman, uh, you know, voter purges are always controversial. You know that. Uh, there is a federal requirement that vo- that, mm-hmm. that states do have to keep their uh, voter rolls clean. But it is also the case that Georgia has a higher rate of purges than many other states. How do you assess all this? Hey, a couple of things. I think if you look what, um, what happened in the Secretary of State's office when Brian Kemp was Secretary of State and the fact that we made it automatic, you know, you could go and register your driver's license and then you could actually, right, register at the time. And so we had this opt-out versus opt-in, which is a which is a huge thing, and not every state does that. And we actually increased our voter rolls a, an enormous amount by that. And, in fact, if you look at um, the last, uh, I would, I'm sure, Kevin, you know better than I do, the last probably four to six years, we have huge increases in the rolls, especially in the minority communities, which I think is great for Georgia. I think we need to have everyone that can vote. I think they should be voting. On the other hand, we also know because of we're a metro area that has a lot of influx of people, right? We're not just Georgians that sit here. We also have people that move, right, both in and out. So when you move in and you go to the driver's license, you can get you can register to vote. But we also have to make sure that when you move out that you're no longer able to vote and that you're not voting in Georgia when you really are voting in wherever else. So Even I, though, let's be honest, there, I mean, there's very little, little evidence that things like that ever happen. But again, but again, I, I do think there's a lot to having making sure your better all are clean. So I think my, my point is, I think it's a lot more complicated than people think. Uh, and we're not, again, the, the list is online. If people want to go look at the list, if, if you're mistakenly taken off, you can reapply and get in, and you're back on the list. It's not like it's some secret list that no one knows about. And, you know, all of us, us that voted in the last election, which I'm sure probably everyone here did in this room, we're not, if people vote and are active, there's no chance of them moving off the list. Stacey Evans, what's interesting about this purge uh, it, is that it is my understanding. I mean, I get why Fair Fight Action wants to jump in on a case like this. They worry about uh, voter suppression tactics. Mm-hmm. It is my understanding that an analysis of the names of the purge people shows that there is not a disparity between, say, white and African-American names on the list. If there had been, if there were a lot more African-Americans mm-hmm. than white voters purged, you, you might suggests, wow, that really does show that uh, Republicans who control the Secretary of State's office are trying to cut back on African-American, presumably Democratic votes. So it, it at the legislature last session passed some provisions which make voting mm-hmm. uh, rights a little bit, uh, make in, um, in correct some of the problems. How do you interpret all this? I take little solace in, in what you said. I mean, I'm glad that it's not disproportionately affecting African-American voters, but I suspect very strongly that it does disproportionately affect voters um, of lower income levels, uh, 
lower information voters, those that don't have time to go online and check and see if they've been purged, they're going to find out the next time they go try to vote. And yeah, maybe you can get put back on and maybe you can do a provisional vote, but that's a lot of work for somebody who's struggling to make ends meet and they've made this effort to get out and vote and then they're not there. I have seen zero evidence from anybody, to Kevin's point, that there's any problem. So what I don't understand is why we do this in the first place. It costs money for the Secretary of State's office to send out these postcards. Somebody's got to monitor, take people on, take people off for no good reason. A waste of government money right there. So. I say, I say it might be helpful because I don't want to. I don't want to say I'm going to let the um, the reporter in the room, the journalist journalist in the room, um, provide the information. But it might be helpful for listeners for you to to lay out when people get removed. What does this process consist of, really? Well, the dispute right now, right, is the change in the state law. I mean, let's just be clear about that. It used to be, I think, was it uh, seven years? Seven years if you didn't vote. and they If you yeah, didn't vote or have any involvement with the election, uh, uh, the folks in and the state. And so Secretary there's a State's set of office. people in this dispute who now, that, that Fair Fight's arguing should be under the new law. And that's part nine of Nine years. 70,000 yeah. people. Nine years, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it, the, it's 90,000, so right? 90,000? Uh, I wrote 70. It could be 90. Yeah, but, but, it's, but it's a number. Somewhere, it's, it's a, not nothing. But it's significant. But it's yeah. roughly seven years of not voting. I just want to Right. Seven right. years of not not voting either in a primary or a general or in something. And maintaining these lists has always been so, something states have been required to do. It's just that lately it's gotten a little, let's just call it hysterical. Well, politically. Adam, part of it is, I think, uh, number one, as I mentioned earlier, Georgia does have a higher number right. uh, than many of the states around the country in terms of purges, Adam. Um but it's also because all of the voting laws are, suspi- are are under suspicion all the time now because of the partisan divide and how close all of our elections suddenly have become. Right, Adam? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and when you so much of the coverage is is focused on that, especially last year with with Stacey Abrams and and the the lead up to the gubernatorial election. It was really interesting to us down here in the last. In the last month or so, we had a municipal election within the city of Savannah. A, a huge a sea the, change over the previous. A big sea change. Yeah. That's right. And we had we had more people cast ballots this time than we did four years ago. But yet the percentage turnout was down significantly. We started digging in. From 2015 to 2019, the voter rolls, the voter registration in the city of Savannah grew by 63%. Mm-hmm. Within Chatham County, it was 43%. So people are getting registered. They, they're. I'm not going to say that that kind of dispels this whole idea of voter suppression because I don't think it does. But I think a lot of that stuff is not being talked about. And the truth is, is that the federal law says you got to maintain these voter rolls. And until the folks in Washington are willing to take some action and willing to have some discussion about some of the things that that we're talking about today then we're not really going to see a whole lot of change. And I don't think the Secretary, the Secretary of State has a whole lot that, that he uh, can do to change that. Tim, I see you're writing a lot on your uh, papers there. What, do you, what have you put down there? I, I can remember moving. Our family's like nomads. We move every three years. I can, I can remember being scared to death thinking, okay, is my registration still over here? Because it's illegal to vote in a district that you don't live in, right? So keeping your info up to date. It's an important responsibility to make sure you don't break the law and vote in the wrong district. So it's illegal to do that. And so the purge and the postcard helps people stay in compliance so they don't break the law. Well, I think there's something to that, Jackie. I also want to say that when I read the story in the AJC about all this today, they had a couple of interesting individuals who have not moved, who did vote in the last election, Mm -hmm. who were shocked. And in one case, at least, a a person said scared by the fact that they had been taken off the rolls despite voting last time and not having moved for 18 years. And and they also had several people that said that they hadn't voted and didn't care to vote and didn't care. So, I mean, these are like anomalies. As long as the two of you keep talking about the quality of our reporting, (laughs) I mean, I do want to give a shout out to Mark Nisi, who covers this for us all the time. And, and, And what I think Mark has been able to accomplish is that this is his stories tend to be not hysterical because <laughs> you know so much of what you see is it doesn't make for it. And he's story. not even an underwriter, for God's sake. Go <laughs> yeah, ahead, make yeah. your point. We're going to take a break. Okay, so my point, and I'll, I'll, I will tweet this, and then Bill can retweet it. But there is actually there was a recent talk about the 2018 election. There was a recent um, the the United States Election Assistance Commission came out and said there was no right there was no voter issue really in Georgia. In fact, they they cited to your point earlier about the. 
when they talked about Savannah, the increase, there was a 94% increase in registrations in Georgia due to the automatic voter registration. So, I mean, we are doing huge things in Georgia in terms of making sure people have access and are registered to vote. And yes, we need to make sure that we're clean when we take them off the rolls, but it's something that has to be done. All right. And it's also why we continue to debate this subject, why it feels so controversial, because we have seen uh, the good and also have heard concerns from those who really believe voter suppression is an issue. And so we're going to be talking about this through 2020. We're not going to talk about it anymore now because I'm late for our first break of the show. Let's take it. We'll come back with more. There are many ways to be a leader. Some run big companies. Some serve on the school board or volunteer for causes they care about. Most leaders are regular people who want to make a difference. They do it by supporting what matters to them. I'm Tamara Keith. When you give to public radio, you're supporting reliable journalism. So please, follow your heart and be a leader. Make a year-end gift now. Call 800-222-4788 or donate online at gpb.org. The House votes on whether to impeach President Trump. No one, not even the president, is above the law. Will he be brought to trial for abusing his power and obstructing Congress? To use the power of impeachment on this nonsense is an embarrassment to this country. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. Join us for live special coverage of the House floor debate and the historic vote from NPR News. Join us for NPR special coverage starting tomorrow morning at 9 here on GPB. And as long as uh, we just heard that, let me remind you one more time, if you weren't with us at the start of the show, Political Rewind will step aside to allow uh, our stations around the state to carry NPR's coverage of the impeachment hearings. We do think we'll be back for our show on Friday. There's nothing standing in the way of that. So we'll see you uh, after this show, Friday at 2. All right, Stacey Evans, why the heck? You know, you mounted, you were in the state house. Uh, you had a tenure there that I think you probably were pretty proud of. You felt good about. You r- made the run for uh, a governor against Stacey Abrams. That didn't work out the way you'd hoped it would. And now you're back for another round in the state house. Pat Gardner's seat. She's uh, decided to retire. Pretty safe Democratic district. But why the heck did you decide you wanted to jump back into this frying pan? <laughs> Well, first, let me give kudos to Pat Gardner, who's represented the district so well for 18 years, and we'll continue. We'll serve out her term, and, and we'll have one more session in, uh, under the Gold Dome. I, I, I had to. Uh, I'm looking at what's going on at the state level, looking at what's going on at the national level, particularly here in the state, watching uh, House Bill 481 pass um, to restrict abortion access to six weeks uh, just made me sick. And when this opportunity uh, presented itself, when Pat announced she was— going to retire, I couldn't in good conscience stay out and not put my experience to work. I think I've got the ability to get in and from day one work hard for the district, put my experience to work and fight the good fight uh, to make Georgia a better place. When you made your race for governor, you had some pretty significant uh, Democratic names behind you. Roy Barnes was a big supporter of your campaign. Uh, Buddy Darden uh, uh, was uh, completely uh, in your corner on this thing. Are, have you already, in an effort to try to keep the field clear, have they already jumped in and said they're going to work on your behalf in, in the 2020 election? Well, I've definitely been reaching out to my friends and will continue to do so. It's hard starting a campaign right at the holidays, by the way. I don't really suggest <laughs> it to most people. <laughs> it's hard. Uh, and I've got two little ones at home. Um, but I, I have reached out uh, to both Governor Barnes and uh, former Congressman Buddy Darden. And, um, and they've always been friends and supporters, and, and they will be in this as well, as well as many other friends that I've been able to make over the years. And stay tuned uh, for announcements of all that good stuff. Adam uh, Van Bremmer down there in Savannah. Uh, it, it's interesting that Stacey Evans just mentioned 481. Uh, that's going to be an issue that will pop up in any number of uh, legislative races, especially, I would guess, House races uh, in the year ahead, right? Absolutely. And down here where filmmaking is such a big part of our economy and the impact or the potential impact, I think it still remains to be seen exactly how much impact that bill has or that law has in terms of of dissuading um, filmmakers from coming to to Georgia and to Savannah. And obviously, I know Atlanta has got a lot more invested in that area than we do. 
but uh, once the once the courts start taking this up and we see where it goes, it's it's going to be closely watched, and it will play a big role in in some of the state house races down this way. Jackie, uh, are you worried about some of the suburban legislative districts because of uh, of the uh, of HB four eighty one? So I'm actually going to back us up a little bit because I think this is a really important topic, and um, quite frankly, we don't have enough time to talk about it. But I'm going to give it just to start. This is a really complicated, a really complicated issue because it's not it's really about for for people that believe in in life and believe that life begins at conception they're actually not happy with this because from their perspective this wasn't enough now you can say you agree or disagree with that but that's that's where they feel so this when you you know you let it to go to the heartbeat so that until the heartbeat you have unlimited access to um to abortions from that perspective it's really quite a big gift and I understand the opposite side, but there are several ways. I mean, you have, you know, that's about the right to choose. I mean, women have the right to choose whether or not to have sex. Women have the right to choose what kind of, you know, um, you know, what do they use in terms of protection. They have the right to choose the over-the-counter pill, which is um, available actually without a prescription throughout Georgia at a relatively low cost. They have the right to know, you know, when they're pregnant. They have the, So there's a lot. I think it's a very, very difficult issue. And quite frankly, I'm getting... It's hard for me to even talk about. I had two miscarriages. I have two children. It's just a it's just a very very difficult topic. So I think we have to be very thoughtful when we talk about it. You know what, I, I Kevin, it, I just when I heard Jackie, I thought if I were a Republican uh, running right now, these are that's a really interesting argument to make. It does not. Uh, deal with the question of whether suburban women are going to be turned off by 481, right? But I, but I think you, I think the way to really talk about this bill is to really talk about it, even though it's really hard, and not to just result to some kind of very easy okay. headline type well, topic. I think Jackie's point. I mean, I know she's. Uh, I mean, in the end, it's a, such a polarizing issue. But but what you really uh, run into is sort of a concern about disrespecting either side. I mean. I don't think the bill in Georgia, I don't think whatever else happens, I don't think any of these races are going to change people's minds. But I do think the reality is this could have a big impact on people who were disturbed by that big change. And originally, remember, it it was going to be the trigger bill. That was Mm -hmm. what uh, everyone heard is like, what we'll do is we'll kind of avoid this. And if something happens at the federal level, then we'll have this. And instead, right away, people went here and the governor went right with them. I don't want to get down a rabbit hole on abortion (laughs) today, although there'll be plenty of time to talk about it. But just wonder, what are the other big issues? We're talking about your race. What, What else will you emphasize in your campaign? I have many things that we'll be talking about. Obviously, K through 12 education is huge, making sure that our public schools have mm-hmm. the resources that they need. Transportation infrastructure is very important. <laughs> and I, I left some uh, work unfinished, uh, stuff I wasn't able to do in the minority party that I look forward to getting back and fighting for. One of those is um, passing uh, civil rights protections for the LGBTQ community. Right now, we have no state protections uh, for the LGBT community to be discriminated against in housing, public accommodations, in the workplace. And I'd like to get back <laughs> and make that law and uh, wouldn't mind doing a little bit more work around hope. Okay, I just want to point out that uh, right now you don't have any opponents in this race. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, you've been a longtime panelist on the show, and we wanted to uh, have you on to talk about all the issues today. Uh, if you get uh, some opposition, we'll look at having others. We're, we believe in fair uh, treatment here, but... Congratulations and jumping back in, I Thank guess. You. Thank you. I'm very excited about this opportunity. Uh, before we take a break, I just want to talk at least briefly about an interesting uh, aspect of the uh, um, appropriations bill that came out of, is about to be passed uh, in Washington by the end of this week. Adam Van Bremer, there is embedded in the appropriations bill a $25 million uh, grant, essentially, to the Centers for Disease Control to begin studying the impact of gun injuries and deaths. And that's fascinating because the last time CDC was allowed to study uh, guns in any way was in 19, up till 1996, when a GOP House with Speaker Gingrich in the chair uh, decided that CDC was using its gun statistics to promote gun control, and they passed a measure signed by Democrat Bill Clinton mm-hmm. to stop CDC from studying gun violence. And now there's money coming back into the pot, Adam. It's an interesting development. It is interesting, and it, it makes you think that maybe some of the, the gun violence issues we've seen, whether it's in our schools, at our military bases, in general public, that, that maybe that is finally starting to make a little bit of a dent 
with with lawmakers to say, hey, you know, we can talk all day about different ideas on how to to combat it, and that gets very partisan. At least by doing it this way, you're going to get more statistics out there. You're going to be studying studying ways to make a difference and and trying to get farther down the road with that rather than just saying, okay, well, we need to ban this or we need to tighten this. And, and when you do that, then you're not going to get any kind of real traction, I think, on Capitol Hill in terms of making any kind of real changes. So Tim, what, I, what I would add to that, too, is what – I mean – Let's face reality. This this happened because there was this desperate effort to get some sort of spending agreement so that the government wouldn't have to shut down. But mm-hmm. Mark Rosenberg, who who's yep. here and used to work at CDC. Mark Rosenberg was the head of injury right. and prevention at CDC. He refused to stop studying guns after Congress passed this bill, and it was signed into law, and he was fired because of it. <laughs> right. And then he went to work for the uh, task, force task Force for, for Global Health. Global Health. And mm-hmm. uh, he's a friend. And he he's very passionate on this topic. In fact, we ought to, you ought to think about having him on the show. Because I do think what CDC, the, the approach would be, this is a public health issue, right? I mean, that, and they would study it and they would research it because that's what they do. I think you're still going to have a significant number of people over time who won't see it that way and who will move to stop this funding. And, and, and I, I do think it's a debate that the country has to have because if we're going to argue about what would fix it, and I, I don't think anyone disagrees it should be fixed, you've got to understand it. All right, Tim, what's, I wonder, Lucy McBath, of course, has been uh, uh, making statements about how pleased she is, given that she lost her son to gun violence seven years ago. Uh, this will be something that she'll be able to d- take advantage of as she runs her campaign, I would think, up there in the 6th. Yeah, probably so as it continues as it continues to change. I mean, we'll see, you know, if if the overall Trump effect, you know, for next year is is different than when Stacey was on the ballot. Stacey had a tremendous impact on that ballot, and if she's not on that ballot, uh, there may be there may be a swing back to the Republicans, uh, depending on whether she's the vice presidential candidate or not. Uh, interesting. All right, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way. When we come back, we have now resisted for, let's say, 51 minutes yesterday, most of today's show, not talking <laughs> once about impeachment. But we're going to get into it a little when we look at the latest polls on impeachment and look at how they're not quite clearly telling us how people out there are feeling. We'll be right back. As you support the organizations that matter to you during this season of giving, please remember that listeners power everything GPB brings you. There's still time to have your tax-deductible year-end gift to GPB matched dollar for dollar. That's thanks to a challenge from Jane Hyatt at the Hyatt Fund, Community Foundation of Mississippi. Donate now at gpb.org or 800-222-4788. Thanks, and happy holidays. On the next Fresh Air, Julie Andrews. She has a new memoir about her Hollywood years, which began when she was brought to the Disney Studios to play Mary Poppins. We'll also talk with her daughter, theater director and writer Emma Walton Hamilton, who co-wrote the book and was born just a few months before Andrews began work on Mary Poppins. Join us. Fresh Airs, this afternoon at 3, right here on GPB. You can listen live online at gpbnews.org. We're back on Political Rewind. While we've been sitting here, Tim Eccles has been looking over a a very, very dense agreement on this. You wanted to make one quick correction about the split. If Georgia Power earns earns over over what they're allowed to, what's going to happen with the money? Yeah, so uh, in 19, the customers will get it all. But in 20, 21, 22, it would be an 80-20 split. 80 80 to the customers, 20 to the company. Okay, thank Thank you you. for correcting that for us. Um, Kevin Riley, we're seeing with the impeachment debate about to begin tomorrow in the U.S. House, we're seeing interesting variety, an interesting kind of variety in the polling on how people, how the American people feel about impeachment. So the poll that a lot of people have really been trumpeting, liberals, Democrats primarily, is the Fox News poll, which uh, came out uh, on the weekend, and it it found that 50 percent of the people polled believe that Trump should be not just impeached, but impeached and removed. 41% said he should not be impeached. 
Um, what's interesting about that is that simultaneous to that, his job approval numbers uh, have uh, have gone up a little bit. He's still underwater. He's at 45 percent, but in late October he was at 42 percent. That's almost a statistical error, but it is something uh, of an increase. Uh, the rest of the numbers in that poll also suggest that that a majority of people really believe Trump did something wrong here. So that's Fox. Then you turn to Real Clear Politics, which averages all of the mm-hmm. polls together. And on their question of impeachment and removal, they have it down to a plus t- 0.7, seven-tenths of a percent uh, of, who are oppo- uh, more who are opposed to impeachment than approve uh, of impeachment. CNN, Quinnipiac, ABC News, USA Today, all those. So they're really – what's interesting is – Nobody's moving an inch. Everybody's where they were two months ago. So shockingly, what we're reporting on this show is the country's divided on this issue. (laughs) That's real reporting. Uh, Breaking news. I mean, and so, so, you know, depending on uh, who you're listening to, it's either while the Democrats haven't been able to get any people to move toward what they want or the Republicans haven't been able to get people to move to where they want. I mean, the bottom line is, and I think we got that from Mitch McConnell over the past couple of days, which is it ain't happening in the Senate no matter mm-hmm. what the House does. Stacey Evans, uh, Mitch McConnell this morning, uh, uh, said that he would not take Adam, Adam uh, I mean, uh, Chuck Schumer, the minority leader's recommendation to uh, call witnesses. They wanted to uh, call uh, any number of people, mm-hmm. uh, Bolton, for one, uh, Mick Mulvaney, among others. Uh, McConnell said today, uh, I don't know, I frankly don't know whether he said no witnesses at all or none of the Democratic witnesses, but I think he said no witnesses, period. Mm-hmm. The whole the whole thing is um, the Republican response is very sad. I feel like we've really lost uh, intellectual honesty here. Unfortunately, I think the exercise is going to end up being a futile effort in the short term because McConnell said it ain't ain't happening. Um, But I do still think it was the right thing for Democrats to do. And it will have a long term positive effect because it shows that our Congress cares about its job and cares about the Constitution. Jackie, you are in a remarkable position on this because your dad Mm -hmm. was uh, he drove the impeachment of President Clinton forward. Uh, He watched it win in the House with a little bipartisan Mm -hmm. support, Mm -hmm. unlike what we've got today, and then watched as the Senate uh, dismissed the charges fairly quickly. So how are you watching all of this from the perspective of what you remember about what your dad went through? And then, of course, as a conservative. I think two things. Uh, first of all, there was it wasn't it, there was a little more bipartisanship. Yeah, I'm not going to say said. it was bipartisan no, it wasn't at all. A lot. <laughs> there was some, right? There was some. Um, and if you look at even look at the real clear politics, the trend numbers over the past few months, even though they're close now, you can see there's a huge gap. I just tweeted it. There's a huge gap, but there was a big gap between Republicans and Democrats, yeah. and it's now basically crossed. Well, over and where, all the polls, and all the right. polls, when okay. you average all the polls. Say for the Democrats, I mean, you know, again, you know, we sh- we share the Stacey and I are on the opposite side. So, you know, I say the same thing about the Democrats. They had this huge thing about quid quo quo and bribery, and now they kind of got down to, well, we can't really do that, so we're going to do abuse of power and you know, obstruction. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, I think we've had, we've seen a concerted effort since this president won, um, that there have been a lot of people that, first of all, couldn't even admit it. You I mean, go back, I'm just telling you, go back and watch the anchors the night that he won, and you can tell their body language, and you, I could, you could tell how late they call certain states. They could not believe that President Trump won. I mean, I just, I knew hours before it was called that it was over. And they wouldn't call it because they couldn't imagine it. Jackie, See, why didn't you call me at the HJC if well, you wait, knew that? I, I, I will I, next time. I, oh, I, no, I, I didn't. No, yeah, no. no. But, wait. I do want to take issue with some of that. The I was on the air that night. And what I was watching was the New York Times, that incredible device that the New York Times mm-hmm. adopted where they have literally a meter that swings left and right. Mm-hmm. And we saw the meter moving toward Trump by 9, 9.30 at night, and we were reporting on that. So I just want to point oh, that no, out. No, 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 let me say, I was watching CNN, so maybe that was my problem. <laughs> okay. um, so, you know, I was watching the, the mass, you know, and, and they called things late because I, I knew when Georgia was done, I knew it was going to happen, and once Georgia knew, you kind of get the feeling. But they've been one thing after another since this president's been in power. They're not happy with the, they, you know. So, I, you know, from the Republican standpoint, the conservative standpoint, we just want to get through it, get past it, and 
I think the challenge is, and it happened to my father, so I'll admit it. There's good. I think there's going to be a lot of blowback on Democrats for this. Well, process. and it did hurt your it, father it did. It did. badly. I mean, it, it was did. it. It really ended up uh, uh, with his decision. He, he he ended up having to resign before his term right. was up. Uh, Adam, how are what how, what are you hearing? What down at the coast? Uh, how are your people down there? How are your people? How are people talking about this in Savannah? If they're talking about it at all. Oh, there is a lot of talk, and it's interesting. You know, last week, when it became apparent that that this was going to go forward, we put together an editorial and said, it, "This is a really interesting situation because we kind of knew when we started where this was, where it was going to end. That the Democrats were going to vote to impeach, and then it was going to go to a trial, and the Senate was was not going to vote to remove him from office. So, therefore, the question became." What was the end game? And and I think most people will most people will look at it and say that the, that the House was justified in pursuing uh, impeachment. But at the end of the day, what were they really aiming to do? And were they aiming, knowing that the that the Senate was not going to vote to remove him, was the goal then to kind of show voters, hey, you know, this guy is this guy is bad news. He's he's abusing his power. He's overstepping his bounds. Was this envisioned as kind of the final nail to voters going into 2020? Tim, how do you? And, oh, I'm sorry. Finish, please. Finish, Adam. No, and and I don't know. I don't know that the Democrats or this whole process has kind of made that case. And I think those polls that you've mentioned earlier really kind of reflect that that that, that they haven't. I think that's a really important mm-hmm. point, Tim. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That we have not seen the needle move one way or the other, showing us just how entrenched the American people are. You know, for me, I've got two colleagues on the ballot ballot with Donald yep. Trump, right? Jason Shaw and, mm-hmm. and Bubba McDonald, and I certainly want mm-hmm. them to return. And I think as the uh, as as the president goes, so goes two U.S. senators and two public service commission missioners, not to mention possibly a, a whole bunch of other uh, House and Senate seats uh, locally. Um, Stacey, uh, you would say the same thing I would assume about legislative seats. Absolutely. I'm I, I very hopeful about the Democrats' chance to take back the Georgia House uh, and make some gains in the Senate. And Donald Trump's behavior, I think, helps us. How many seats? You need 14 or 16? 16. 16 seats mm-hmm. in, to take control of the House. Very close. But most people agree, Kevin, that's an aspirational number. That's a lot of seats to flip, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't see anybody uh, going to Las Vegas and and putting a lot of money on that. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, Tom Faust just sent me a an item the from the Hill. President Trump has just released a, what what the Hill describes as a scathing letter to uh, Speaker Pelosi about impeachment. He says to her, it's a six-page letter, among other things, he says, quote, this is nothing more than an illegal partisan attempted coup that will, based on recent sentiment, badly fail at the voting booth. You are not just after me as president. You are after the entire Republican Party. History will judge you harshly as you proceed with this impeachment charade. And whether or not you agree with the rhetoric on that, uh, I don't think anyone doubts that Democrats are putting, making a big mm-hmm. bet that impeaching the president. First, they believe they tell us, and I don't see that they're not telling the truth, that they believe this must happen because of their belief in separation of powers. But they're also putting a huge bet, Stacey, that uh, this impeachment will not uh, uh, wipe out Democrats in the House, particularly next year. Well, I think they're they're doing what they felt like they needed to do was their duty and and to push back on something Jackie said earlier. There certainly were people that were calling for his head on day one, but Nancy Pelosi didn't want to do this. Yeah. The majority of those in Congress didn't want to do this, but he forced their hand. You act badly, you got to get called on it, and that's what Trump did. Stacey Evans gets the last word on today's show. We have chocolate pie uh, from Tim Nichols <laughs> to eat. Adam Van Bremer, thank you. Bremer, thank you for, for being with us down from Savannah. Jackie Cushman, Tim Eccles, Kevin Riley, Stacey Evans. Uh, to all of you, have a great holiday. I probably won't see any of you till after the holiday. I will see the rest of you Friday at 2. Take care.